This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Your brain needs support. And new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L-theanine, and caffeine. Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus. Stay chill or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y dot These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Hello and welcome to the EDH RetCast, where we're all about commander, data, and dad jokes. I'm Joey Schultz and I'm joined by my fantastic co-hosts. Up first, when the new year hit, he got a free extra time counter on his millennium calendar. It's Matt Morgan. So I finally found out that my girlfriend actually is a ghost and I'm just really happy to finally know because I, really I had my suspicions the moment she walked through the door. <laughs> Okay, okay. Bit of a bit of a late Halloween dad joke there, Matt. That's amazing. <laughs> I'm, well, it's, I mean, it's not my fault it's so late, but it, it's kind of her fault cuz really she should have been more transparent with me. <laughs> okay. All is forgiven. That's amazing. What yeah. a what a great way to start the year off. What a great note to begin on, Matt. That's <laughs> true. Yeah, it, it it's all in the holiday spirit. So, spirit just wrapping it up. Spirit, indeed. All right. Up next, he'd like you to know that his thousand-year elixir is now a thousand-and-one-year elixir. It's Dana Roach. Oh, what did the wool hat say to the scarf? I have no idea. You hang around while I go on ahead. Oh, okay. So, I, I appreciate that. Effective. I like it. Yeah, yeah. Well, well done. A whole, wholesome humor here for the new year. Yeah. Very classy dad jokes looks pointedly at Matt, who's never done a classy dad joke and always has the weirdest <laughs> setups. Always Challenge always. accepted, though, Joey. Don't tempt me with a good time. Challenge the stats accepted or yes. did I just get the first segue of the year? Now, Joey, I, I know that we're going to find a different shtick, but I hope that skipping half the episode is not part <laughs> of that shtick because our listeners going to be so disappointed if you're just going to go straight to challenge the stats in the opening minutes of the show this year. I, you, you, to, totally fair. Yeah, yeah. Maybe, maybe we'll stick to some stuff that we actually know. Stay where we're better acquainted. Um, all right. Well, Matt, what is it that we're actually talking about in this episode, man? Well, so a few weeks ago, we did an episode ranking all the all the lands, all the dual lands that we thought, uh, well, we kind of gave a definitive list there, didn't we? So this week, we are going to give another definitive list as far as what are the best mana rocks in Commander. 
Mm-hmm. This will be another interesting ranking giving. Which of these mana rocks are S tier? Which of them are F tier? What do those rankings even mean? This will be a very interesting one. But we've got some shout outs to do before we get to it. First, I'd like to thank Chase for their help editing the show. You can find them on the interwebs at Mana Curves. And if you'd like to support the show, you can do so for free just by leaving us a review on your local podcast app, subscribing on YouTube, or you can go to patreon.com slash EDHRecCast, where we have all sorts of different tiers for whatever you want to do. So for as little as $2 a month, you can join our Discord community, where you can see our historic challenge stats, picks, see the episodes a day early. There's all that and more over at patreon.com slash EDHRecCast, including the weekly coveted patron shout out. So this week, Will Kirch, thank you so much for your support. Hopefully you got off El Drain, got rid of the uh the 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 rid of your sister or brother, Will. I don't know the lore that well. well I know there's a Will in God Got rid of the sister? Do you mean Will and Rowan? Like I don't think that's yeah, quite that how one. the lore happened. I don't know the lore. I just know that there's a name and there was a planeswalker. Will, either way, thank you for leaping off the card and into our Patreon support group. Thank you so much for all of that. Wow, that is excellent. Thank you so much, Will. And I do want to shout out if folks are uh, hoping to join into that Discord uh, family there, it's been really fun to like play games with our listeners there too when we've been able to jump in and get some spell table games. Mm -hmm. It's become a really thriving community and that was a really awesome thing to see over the holidays as well. So it's a great time. Thank you ever so much for the support, everyone. And now, guys, we're going to get into some ranking of mana rocks. But I think we've got um, a couple of disclaimers to do before we get there. <laughs> Namely, um, like there are over 300 mana rocks in the game. And <laughs> I don't know, Dana, call me crazy, but do you think we should rank all of them? Or like, <laughs> I don't think we probably have time for a six-hour show to go over the top 300 mana rocks of all time. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So especially some of the much more hyper-niche mana rocks, like... Yes, if you're playing an initiative deck, you probably play Servox Tome. If you play a dragon deck, Dragon's Horde is going to be really great for you. But we can't tackle all of them, especially since so many of those boil down to, well, it's good an X-specific deck, and that's about it. So we're going to try and stay a little bit more general and mm -hmm. uh, see if there are more interesting things to talk about in that realm. That does mean that we're going to miss some of your favorite mana rocks. We know. Maybe we'll shout out a couple of them at the end of the episode, but there are 300 mana rocks. We just can't do all of them. Well, and one thing I feel like we should do, too, is... Define what these rankings mean, like what these tiers mean. Because last time that we did this with the, the dual lands, I think there's a little bit of jumble going up there. So how do each of you, Dana, especially you and I, I feel like last time, mm. we diverged quite a bit. So how would you define like S tier, A tier? What do those mean in your mind? It, to me, uh, something to, to be an S tier mana rock, it would be a, it would be a, a, a rock that you ran in almost every deck assuming something wasn't preventing you from doing it, be it cost or you're not playing at that power level, whatever it is, ignoring those factors, you would just hard jam that into almost every deck without question. And I, I think those are the ones that I personally would consider S tier. Gotcha. So, so Dana, so Soul Ring, for example, that's S tier for both of us then as far as, I mean, for me, S is for staple. That's kind of the, the, a card that every deck should try and make room for if they're not playing it already. That's kind of the best of the best, cream of the crop. Not the card, but the, the saying. <laughs> so, so, so we're on the same page so far, at least. Yeah, like Mana Crypt. I, I would consider Mana Crypt an S tier rock, despite the fact that I, I don't run the 
several copies I have in any of my decks. I'm not running it because I, I feel like it's it's making the deck play at a speed and power level that I don't really play at. Right. Um, mm-hmm. So so that's the reason I'm not running it. But like ratings wise, I would probably run Mana Crypt in every deck if I was ignoring power restrictions and ignoring cost. So so and I think Joe, you probably agree with uh, agree with us on this that you're never wrong necessarily to play any of these S tier or probably most the A tier cards in any given deck. Then I, I think that's a, a nice way to phrase it. S is as close as I'm willing to get to saying staple. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, a big stance that we've had on the show is that like I'm not going to call anything an auto include because there are in fact even places where Soul Ring can be a, there can be good reasons to not play it in your deck. Yeah, but like. The soul ring is one of the reasons why the word auto include is a thing amongst the magic community at the same time so like mm-hmm. yeah of course it's going to be s tier <laughs> so so like yeah s is going to be one of those just like oh yep willing that if you're going to call something a staple that's probably what you should call staple um and then the rest of them kind of go by priority um like a is a thing that i'm absolutely going to prioritize b is a thing that and, and actually matt i think you and i might disagree on like b and c this is where it gets a little bit thornier because like for, for me b is like baseline sure because there are so many mana rocks available to us and i'm not playing 20 of them in my deck yeah you know um so like c is usually where it'd be is just like oh you know it's a nice acceptable land but like here with a limited number of slots in your deck for mana accessories mana resources Mm -hmm. b is kind of where i'm just like listen if you're below a b you're gonna have to really impress me c is kind of take it or leave it um and d is like do not play. Um, but I think that you and I might differ on that because I think you probably average out more on the C uh, and you're not quite as harsh as I am. M- maybe I'm wrong. I'm not sure how you feel. Yeah. It, well, I think C, yeah, C is right in the middle. And to me, like if we're going to have a bell curve, C should be average. So okay. for me, C is where the baseline is. And these are going to be kind of where the cards maybe aren't the most efficient. Maybe you need to build around them to kind of get the most out of it. Or just a, a lot of the budget options for me go in C tier. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe in D, depending on what it is. But B for me, B tier is the the cards that are just reliably just good and pretty much any deck you put them in, you don't you don't need to defend yourself when you when you play a B tier card mm-hmm. in a deck and I see that. It's like, okay, that makes sense. It's maybe not the best card, but it's a card that I know why you're putting in there because just the, the power is obvious. Yeah, I, I kind of am on the same page here. Like you mentioned, Joey, there's just so few slots compared to lands mm-hmm. um, that like let's say I don't run anything that I call an S tier aside from soul ring. There's probably enough rocks that are kind of a tier for the most part to fill out that list. Yeah. And they're mostly relatively cheap. Like I, I, I can run for the most part, a tier rocks and run as enough, as many mana rocks as I want to not have to worry about dipping too far into B. And even if there's a mana rock, that's like C tier, I don't know if I care. (laughs) Like the difference between C and, you know, F is is kind of insignificant because there's just not enough slots to worry about it. Uh, Yeah. I'm kind of like, for me, F is like, this card is helping you lose. <laughs> so like, sure, yes. I, I'm I'm hard specifically on the F. Uh, but but like, yeah. If things below a B, I am kind of like, all right, y'all really got to impress me um, because of the the number of slots that we've got there. Um, Matt, is that your same failing grade too, or or I don't know how you? Yeah, <laughs> I mean, F list. is going to be like your mana list. It's a, it, the most basic and stripped down version of whatever card it is, mm-hmm. and so it, it doesn't offer you really any upside. And so there's not really much reason to run it. And I mean, D like. I think there's space for cards to be separated out into a D tier where it's like maybe they're not efficient enough or they don't contribute enough. They're kind of there, but they're just outclassed, whether it's efficiency wise by even budget replacements. And so D tier, it's 
I'm not saying don't play them, but like you're, you're really scraping the bottom of the barrel and maybe it's just a card that you happen to have in a placeholder for now until your next card kingdom order arrives or whatever. Also, fun fact, Dana, this will drive you wild. Uh, a Manolith still showing up in 11,000 decks. I know it's a budget card, y'all, <laughs> but there are so many other better cards that do what Manolith does. So like the first challenge of stats of the year, honestly, stop playing Manolith. It's really not yes. good. We're yeah. going to talk about a lot of other yeah. things there. Um, and one last bit of housekeeping before we actually get to ranking anything. Like what counts as a mana rock is probably also a quick thing that we should mention. For example, we're not going to talk about sacrifice outlets. I love me a national altar. Technically, it is an artifact that makes mana, but really, I'm using it for the sacrifice outlet. And the fact that it makes mana is not the core reason that I'm playing that card. Mana doublers, like caged sun. Like technically, maybe could you call that a mana rock? I guess kind of. But if we include mana doublers, we'll be here all day, and we've already been here all day just explaining our caveats before we get into the list. So yeah, there are certain things that maybe we won't count as mana rocks, and that's also worth us disclaiming before we get into the meat of the show and now i guess guys where are we going to start start at the top i really guess i mean we can all agree soul ring is the cream of the crop best we don't need to talk about it much because everybody talks about it all the time yeah i would say most of the the s tier we can mention what they are but like i don't think there's a lot to say necessarily particularly about the ones we all agree are s tier whether it's soul ring or mana crypt hmm. um i would say you probably lump chrome mox and mana vault in there as well i think those we would probably all agree on mostly then things get a little bit fuzzier see we're, we're disagreeing already because i actually <laughs> don't have mana vault in s tier uh I, I I have it in B tier because most of the time I've ever seen it. And I, I'm not playing in CDH. I know all the CDH crowd, you're yelling at your screens already. I have it in B tier because most of the time it's a ritual and I never see people untap it without extra help. That's just kind of it. I guess where we're starting is with a lot of fast mana here, right? And so yeah. Mana Vault, Grim Monolith, Basalt Monolith, to me, I, I, Dana, I also kind of disagree. It's hard for me to put these as some of those as like S tier cards because they feel to me like either, you know, specifically they're for something competitive or they're doing like a combo or you're specifically in sort of a, an, an like a blink deck with cards like that, mm -hmm. um, which are perfectly good, but they're not the kind of thing that I'm going like, oh man, you know what? You got to play to make your deck better. If I'm rating them on raw power, that's, it's just a raw power card that's head and shoulders above 99% of mana rocks. Mm. And I don't play it. I have zero decks. Right. That, that's the other thing, too, <laughs> with what we're talking about. Chrome Mox, Mox Opal, Mox Diamond. These are really good. Yeah. I think I'd put a whole bunch of these at A tier. I'm not playing any of them. Yeah. But like, yeah, they're, they're really good. There's a reason that they're popular in competitive circles because of, as you said, the power. But it is also like giving them grades is to me also almost kind of like, I mean, yeah, sure. But like, I'm not going to play them. I'm not going to recommend that folks listening, if they want to power up their deck in the more social circles, that they go and run them either, you know? Well, I think where some interesting conversation could be had, because yeah, all the fast mana, it's either going to be S tier, A tier. I mean, there's a couple there, the, the monolith that you mentioned, Joey, the combo pieces. I also have them B tier because like I mentioned in my, how I like to write things, they need help to be used to their maximum potential. Mm. A, a couple cards that I think all three of us agree on though, that they're fairly low despite being classified as fast mana is Mox Tantalite and Soul Talisman, two cards that... They really need help to really be used to the kind of the broken status that kind of comes with the name. <laughs> right. Those are the ones with suspend, right? So mm -hmm. do they count as fast mm -hmm. mana? I mean, technically they're zero mana. So like, yes, but they also have suspend. So it takes them a while, which is why I don't like them very much. 
Yeah, I, I don't like the consistency on them either. Um, there are decks where I can imagine using them, but it would have to be a real specific niche situation. So yeah, they're, they're not ones I would ab- absolutely not lump put put them in S tier or even A tier at all. I mean, the, the C, D. For, for for me, the S tier consists of of Soul Ring, Mana Crypt, uh, Chrome Mox, Opal, Diamond Vault, and Grim Monolith. Those are the ones that are S tier, and also not very interesting. To, like, like because they're so good, I don't have anything interesting to say about them. The only zero mana rock that I would give like a little bit more attention to would be, I think, Mox Amber. That is the one that can tap for any color of mana that you have as a legendary creature in play. I remember when that one came out, a lot of people were like, ooh, hype about it. Um, th- that one I think is just like a perfectly acceptable. Like there are reasons to play that not in just a competitive space. Sure. Mm-hmm. And it's also like there are places where it's not even all that great for your strategy, and you do have to like pay a little bit of attention. I actually put that one as like a B. Yeah. Um, yeah. in comparison to a lot of the other zero mana things that we just discussed. Um, I, I don't know if y'all agree with that too, but I think that that one's a at least worth a nod amongst the initial fast mana batch here that we're in first off tackling because i you know i've played this in a deck or two and i've been okay with it in a deck or two and then there are plenty of decks where i look at it and like "Mm, i wouldn't play that there you know amber and opal are kind of in that same category where excluding cedh um they absolutely can be very very powerful but you don't have to think about it you you look at your deck and you're either like yep mox opal's fantastic or mox amber's fantastic or they're not Hmm. Like for the most part, you don't have to like ponder, man, is this going to be really good in this deck or not? You just know it. Um, so if you're playing that deck, they're amazing. And if you're not playing that deck, they're not. And, and you can usually figure that out very quickly. Yeah. Amber and Opal, both. I have an A tier. They're very, very powerful. They just, they're not as reliable. You're not, you know that maybe sometimes mm-hmm. I'm not actually gonna be able to activate this right off the bat on turn one because of the, the hoops that I have to jump through. And that just knocks it down a peg. Um, but they're still very powerful, yes. Well, and the thing I will quick note about about Opal too, in the CEDH space, what makes that so strong is the other things you're running. Yes. <laughs> like like those decks are running so many other rocks that you that that it just becomes a thing that's almost always turned on. Whereas outside of that space, you have to look much more at like what your deck looks like and is it going to be something that's going to have Metalcraft to work in the first place. Yes, that's the thing that I also wanted to like. So much of these uh, highest tier ish like mana, the, the fast mana, the zero mana, the all of those, the things that can do combo, they depend upon the context that they are in to really reach that full potential. Mm-hmm. In much the same way that you can't just like go get a dual land and then say, "Oh, my deck is more powerful." Like that's that's not really the case. That's how I feel about a lot of these mana rocks. And you know, <laughs> you, you can't just like rely upon the power of a mana rock to suddenly improve the deck. It really is like what is the rest of the deck doing and what is the context in which you are playing it. That would require it to do those things at that particular pace so yeah there are a bunch of these that dana as you said we just don't play because we don't want to even if they are very powerful particularly when they're all together like this um and and yeah th- these are not the most interesting mana rocks that we want to tackle so i think we move on to maybe some two mana rocks now i, I think that the next tier we'll get into that you mentioned the two mana rocks joey and i guess arcane signet is the poster child for this yeah mm-hmm and I'm going to go back to the last show where we talked like the difference between a really souped up, you know, Toyota versus a Ferrari. Like Arcane Signet is the really souped up Toyota. It is a fantastic <laughs> mana rock. I personally would have a tough time lumping it in a category that contains Grim Monolith and Mana Crypt and Soul Ring. Sure. So it, it's I'm calling it an A tier, but like it. If Matt disagrees and says it's an S, or Joey calls it an S, which I think you both do, yeah, we do. We I do. am not going to argue. It's 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 a it's a bomb. Yeah, the, the fact that it's it's so efficiently making any color mana that you need in any given deck, it's just 
it's universally good. And it's very hard for us to say that about yeah. very many cards ever. But I mean, I put this up there with Soul Ring. It just, it may not make, it's not a ritual. It doesn't make more mana than it costs to cast. But the fact that it's going to fix all your colors immediately, that's where I'm just like this. It's so hard to not say it's S. Wizards of the Coast literally said this card was a mistake. And and like, frankly, I think that they knew yeah. it was a mistake when they printed it, but they still printed it. Like, it's just like this card should not have been made. Um, uh, that, that's just fully where I'm at with Arcane Signet. I don't play it in green decks and you shouldn't play it in a colorless deck. And aside from that, I'm just like, yeah, okay. Wish this card didn't exist um, because there it's are- a, It's a mistake that sold sold a whole lot of Brawl pre-cons. Sure so it is. We'll use the word mistake in air quotes. <laughs> exactly, yeah. Um, but there are more interesting rocks to get into. Specifically, I'm curious to see whether you guys have the signets and the talismans at different grades. Um, these are certainly classics, you know, signets you pay mana into and you get two colors out of it. Um, the talismans you can tap for one of either color and it will hurt you or it can just tap for a damage, uh, tap for a colorless. And that damage is pretty negligible. I just have both of these at A because to me, the difference between them is like kind of not really a thing, but I don't know if you guys would say no one is definitely better than the other. To me, they're both on the same tier. I actually have them in B tier because oh. yes, the mana fixing, the mana acceleration is nice, but there's some utility that you can get out of other cards in the slot that I I put them above that, I put them at A. But again, for me, B tier is you don't need to defend these. These are great cards, they're powerful. Mm. It's Nobody's gonna be like, why are you playing that card? Because we know, it's it's very obvious. They are A tiers, the Signets, Arcane Signet, the Talismans are A tiers. When I go looking at, uh, go car shopping, I'm not going to the BMW dealership, I'm going to the car dealership that sells arcane signets, signets, and talisman. Like those are the things I am looking for when I go vehicle shopping, and they are the top tier of mana rocks I'm looking at when I'm brewing a deck. Okay, I, I like that, and, and especially like I mean, if you're in a three color deck, this feels like I just like immediately I'm eating up like six of my <laughs> slots there with the yeah. signets and the talisman. Mm -hmm. If I was forced to choose between them, I would go with the talismans, but I feel rarely forced to choose between them. Um, I, same, yeah, yeah, and and I think for me the reason I put them at A uh, is because I look at one of the next ones here, Felwar Stone, a two mana rock that can tap for any color of just lands that your opponents produce, and that one I have at B just because it's not technically as consistent as the others. Mm -hmm. um, Felwar Stone, I'd also only play in like a three color deck a uh, three color plus deck i mean um th that's again though i'm just like these are the things that i go to for color fixing so like who cares <laughs> i'm just like yeah they're just good yeah if, if, I, if i'm brewing a two color deck felwar stone is the probably the one of the ones i add after the signet the two signets and after the talisman that i'm looking at the felwar stone tier mana rocks that feels like it's probably what i would call a b tier at that point um but I, I'm going to hard jam that into most two-color decks, at least during the brewing process. This is one that comes out sometimes, depending on like what I'm doing, what the deck is doing, what three-mana rock might work in my niche list in a certain way. So like this is the one that tends to maybe get cut when I need to cut something from the kind of two-mana slot. Yeah. But it's a fantastic mana rock. Yeah, it's powerful. I also have it in B tier. It's... It's, it's good and, and it does what you need it to do. And, and just again, two mana, making colored mana, That's it's just a very desirable effect. So Matt, what were the ones that you said had utility that you put above the Signets and Talismans? So I actually, I really like Thought Vessel and Mindstone. I put both of those into A tier mm. because at Mindstone being able to come down on turn two, 
the knocks against both of these cards, they don't make colored mana. But the fact that I, Dana especially should value Thought Vessel very highly because Dana loves drawing cards. But also, card. <laughs> Mindstone being able to you, you use it early, you get the, the mana ramp on the early turns, and then the games go late, you need to draw cards. You're able to get that utility out of it. You don't need the mana anymore. And so being able to get use out of that, I, I value that a lot. And so I, I really like Mindstone and Thought Vessel both for what they're bringing outside of the mana that, that sometimes you just don't need anymore. Mm. So so here's why I, I put Felwar Stone as a B tier and, and why I also have Mindstone and Thought Vessel as a B tier as well. Sure. When I'm making changes to a deck and I'm like, oh, I'm adding this thing and I'm going to pull it a mana rock for whatever reason, I'm excited to do that. I, I never consider Arcane Signet. I never consider the Signet Cycle and I never consider the Talismans. And I am looking at Felwar Stone and I am like wondering, is Mind Stone something I need? Is Thought Vessel something I need? So for me, that's why this the, these two mana rocks got bumped to B tier because they're ones I'm considering removing versus the other three that I never even ponder taking them out of those decks that are running mana rocks. Yeah, I think maybe you'd convince me to put Thought Vessel as an A tier. I had it at a B initially, but I could absolutely put it at A. Like, just the times that that comes in handy. Like, there's I even have a four-color deck where I've just been like, dang, I think I want a Thought Vessel. <laughs> um, yeah, and the four-color decks, the, the knock against Mindstone Thought Vessel for me is, uh, they obviously, they make colorless mana. Yeah. So if you are playing in a four-color deck, Joey, uh, it gets a little tenuous. It, it does, but like I have still felt a justification for doing it uh, here and there because of how many sure. cards that deck could draw. So like that, the fact that that does raise it up. Mindstone, I love it. In a two-color deck, I'm especially just like, oh, heck yeah, I'm, I'm loving this. But for me, though, the one that I absolutely put at A that is a colorless mana rock is Liquid Metal Torque, uh, which can tap for colorless and which can turn something into an artifact, any non-land permanent. And like the number of times that, especially in a green deck, I've been able to like, all right, and cool, then I'll destroy target artifact. Oh, like that card makes my heart smile i love liquid metal torque i put it into so many of my decks that is possibly my most played utility mana rock that's where i think this conversation gets interesting and this kind of b whether whether you guys want to call it an a tier or i call it a b tier or whatever this is where things are interesting there's nothing to really think about when i build a two-color deck and i see arcane signet but with all of these two mana rocks and this kind of b tier ish thing then you're thinking about okay how does my deck interact with this my deck cares about sacrificing things on occasion so mindstone is that much better mm -hmm. um you know maybe your deck worries about drawing a card on someone else's turn or like gives you some upside for doing that well now you can you know use the mindstone for that maybe you have something in your deck that gives you a bonus for casting an artifact well suddenly ever flowing chalice that you can cast for zero if you want to has some added utility there. If you're playing with proliferate effects, Everflowing Chalice gets way better then. Yes, yeah. Um, so, so this is where I think things get, for me, very, very interesting. This is where I take a long look at what is going to work best in my specific deck. Yeah, outside of those that we just covered, like, <laughs> you know, after the, uh, the Liquid Metal Torque, I'm kind of like, yeah, um, what else am I putting in here? It is really like, you know, uh, salt to flavor or, or whatever mm -hmm. uh, from there. Everflowing Chalice is one that I don't play a whole lot, and I think I would only feel compelled to play in a deck that has proliferate. I sort of feel the same way about Astral Cornucopia, if I'm being honest, mm -hmm. because I do want to have those extra things that I can manipulate. I can totally still see reasons to play Everflowing Chalice and not a proliferate deck because of the flexibility that it gives you with that multi-kicker. Mm -hmm. But, uh, you know, I'm, I'm not going to be mad at it, but it's certainly not one that I've reached for anytime soon. Yeah, I, I don't love Everflowing Chalice 
by the time you're getting multiple counters on that without any extra help, it turns into kind of a Hedron Archive type of card, which is fine. I'm not excited to play it, but also it has Hedron Archive has upside because you can cash it in later on the game, kind of like you can with Mindstone, whereas Everflowing Chalice just sits there and still only does the one specific thing. So I don't love Everflowing Chalice. I know, Dana, you do. I it's fine, but I'm not I'm not terribly excited to play it when I am. Yeah, I think worst case, you cast it on turn two and you've got a, you, you've ramped yourself. In best case, you find yourself in a weird corner case situation where you've got nothing to do on like turn six or something and you can, for whatever reason, and you can sink a bunch of mana into it or you can proliferate it up or you can, you know, use it to cast for free when you're getting some kind of weird bonus. I, I think it's got enough corner case stuff and I'm a big fan of Everflowing Chalice for sure. And it's it's one of the ones I'm looking strongly at when I go to to put rocks in a deck for sure. I think the unsung heroes of this slot here are probably, partially because they were so expensive for so long, um, would be the the cycle um, of oh, the medallions. Um, I, I people tend to want to just run these in monocolor decks, and if you're playing a monocolor deck, you probably should, even though they don't technically tap for mana. The cost reduction, I would count them as mana rocks, and I think they, I think most people do too. Yeah, but there's a lot of two color decks if you take a look at your list that skew very, very heavily in one direction. And I think people tend to miss that. They don't really take into consideration how heavily their deck might lean one way. And the medallions can really do a lot of work even in two color decks. They can. I'll admit though that like there are times I don't even play the black medallion in my mono black deck because my commander has an activated ability there that the medallion doesn't help me activate. So I have found reasons to not play them sometimes. Sure. Uh, or like I built a mono blue deck and like so many of the cards in that deck were artifacts. I was like, I actually don't get a whole lot of discount off of this. Um, I-, I found myself most impressed by the green one because green my green decks tend to have the fewest amount of artifacts that would like, get in the way of the medallion. That said, I'm not going to knock these. I-, I would totally put these at B, maybe even A. Like I, I get why they're good and why people like them um but i i would be like eh, in a two-color deck i'd i'd really have to be paying attention to the colors but like yeah i'd co-sign is basically what i'm saying yeah i would probably lean more towards b personally just because they don't fix your colors at all which is one thing that especially if you're playing multicolor decks that's where you're doing them so mm. I, I get why you would want to put them in a because the upside on them is very very powerful if you're casting four spells a turn, I mean, that effectively made you four mana. Right. And so I I, I see why they're powerful, but also the floor kind of gets pretty low too. And so the, the decks that want them, there just aren't enough decks in my mind compared to other cards like the A tier, like the, the Signets, the Talismans, Mindstone, whatever. So that does, to me, put them down into B tier. Yeah, no, I, I agree with you. You've sh- changed me back to B for sure. Well, Joe, Joey's flip-flopping all over the place. One thing we can also flip-flop to is the Challenge of Stats segment. No. I know we I, said we would leave it in... We said we would leave it last year, but... Well, Matt, I guess I'm I guess I'm proud of you, but like I've made a New Year's resolution this year, and my New Year's resolution is to not be bothered when you take the segue. We've <laughs> established fair. it isn't mine. You were the segue champion. It just, it just is yours now. Um, well, sometimes I just need to keep us on schedule, and so therefore, <laughs> I, I'm proud of me too for being organized for once. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, there we go. Yeah, there are still plenty of other mana rocks, including two mana rocks for us to rank, but there's a bunch of data that has to be challenged on EDH Rec 2. So we'll be right back with that after this quick break. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go 
to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, price line. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Fake. All right, I'm going to start us off with the first challenge, the stats of the year, which is actually a listener submitted challenge from our Discord member Tube of Glue, which is a very fun name, um, who has a rules nonbow to point out for the commander Alando the Seer, the four mana Simic commander that allows uh, that Alando can tap to allow you to draw a card. Then you exile a card from your hand and put a number of time counters on it equal to that card's mana value, and it gains the ability when the last time counter is removed from this card. If it's exiled, you may cast it without paying its mana cost. If you cast a creature spell this way against haste until end of turn and then the ability at last says remove a time counter from each other card you own in exile so the shorthand way of saying this is you uh, can suspend cards from your hand right it sort of does an impression of genre of the gitu which would suspend cards from your hand the thing is that tube of glue is pointing out though Alando doesn't actually give those cards the suspend ability. They're not ticking down their time counters every turn. Alando specifically is the only ability that is actually removing those things. And a thing that they pointed out that's showing up in like 40 plus percent of new Alando decks after the Doctor Who decks came out are cards like Wibbly Wobbly Timey Wimey or All of History All at Once, which have the time travel ability. And the time travel ability is great. It says for each suspended card you own and each permanent you control with a time counter on it, you may add or remove a time counter. Those are cool abilities, but they don't work with Alando because Alando doesn't give your cards suspend. So you would not be able to remove any time counters from those cards you own because technically Alando didn't give them suspend. They're not suspended. This is a wicked challenge of stats. Tuba Glue, I love this one. What a counterintuitive thing. It would have been so much easier for them to just say, yes, it gains suspend, but technically it doesn't. The wording is very, very careful there. So if you are playing any of those time travel cards in your deck, hopefully it's just because you have actual regular suspend cards in there but if you aren't playing a bunch of suspend cards then make sure that you don't put those into your Lando deck because they are not going to help out the cards that Alando exiles thank you so much for this challenge to stats submission yeah thanks as always it's always good getting our listener challenges in and so i'm gonna go next and i have a card actually that dana probably may or may not know so credit voucher is a Magic the Gathering card. It's not just something that Ikea gives you when they ship you a busted piece of furniture. <laughs> so for two mana, you get an artifact that you can pay two and tap it to sacrifice credit voucher and shuffle any number of cards from your hand into your library. Then you draw that many cards. So one thing that Dana hates about wheels is the fact that you give your opponents all sorts of different card advantage. And that's very obvious why you would hate that. But also wheels typically are sorcery speed, so you're only able to do them on your turn. And so credit voucher is a card that 
I think if you're playing any of those wheel decks and you only want to make sure that you are the only one drawing cards or you just you're playing maybe the Locust God, you just want to draw a bunch of cards. Credit Voucher is an absolutely fantastic card. I did some deep diving on a different deck and saw this and just thought, why would wheel decks not be playing this? This is only in less than 1600 decks currently. And it's just such a fantastic card. Effectively, you can four mana for an instant speed, shuffle any number of cards. So you don't even have to get rid of your entire hand. If there are cards that you wanna keep around, you don't want to discard them or get rid of them, you can keep those in your hand and shuffle the other five cards away or whatever. This is so flexible. There's a lot of play here. It's not time restricted. You can do it at instant speed. There's just so, so much to like here, uh, folks. It, like I said, 1600 X and it's a, not even 50 cents. A great card if you just need a one-sided wheel effect. There's smothering tithes running all over the place. So don't let your opponents get any more mana. Just run credit voucher instead and keep everything for yourself. So, so my pick this week is one actually, I, I, th this is a card that I think is overplayed and it's, this is more of a generalization than a specific like, don't play this on your deck. But in back-to-back -back weeks playing in real life at my shop, I've seen people run into problems with the four different swords that provide protection while trying to do a thing in the color that their sword, that their creature now had protection from. Uh, Specifically, yeah. the one that happened most recently was was Eowyn, the Lady of Rohan. Um, that's a creature from the most recent Lord of the Rings, Tales of Middle-Earth. At the beginning of combat on your turn, target creature gains your choice of first strike or vigilance at the end of turn, and if that creature is equipped, it gains first strike and vigilance. Because you're targeting a creature, if it has protection from white, you can't target it. Um, and there's four different sword ofs, sort of hearth and home, sort of light and shadow, sort of war and peace, and sort of truth and justice, that give your creature protection from white. Um, this also crops up in Arden decks as well. Arden, who wants to go equip creatures to a, equip equipment to target creature for free, same thing happens there. If the creature has pro-white, you can't actually use that ability. I'm not saying you shouldn't run any of those swords, but there's four different ones that grant pro-white, and a couple of them aren't necessarily that good in equipment decks. Truth and Justice, that's the white and blue one that adds a counter and proliferates. Even Light and Shadow that just brings a creature back to your hand, it doesn't bring it to play. Um, I don't think either of those two are that amazing in equipment decks, and they can get in your way, and I've actively seen them get in the way. That's probably too much for two swords that aren't that amazing and they can hinder what you're trying to do. So if you are running an equipment deck and you've got things that are actively white trying to target your stuff, just bear in mind when you're running those swords that they can cause you problems and consider whether or not they're, the upside is worth the downside. Yeah, that's a really good catch. I recently built an Arden and Kedis deck and I really had to take a double look and make sure well, I'm not going to give anything protection from white because then I can't target it with Arden Intrepid Archaeologist's ability to just attach any number of things that I want onto a certain target. Um, same thing with Shroud. Say, put a Lightning Greaves on it, you can't target it. So that's a really, really good thing just to keep in mind, Dan. I, I like that. Well, in, in actually, I will note, it happened not only did it keep the Eowyn from targeting and using her ability, two turns later, the same player tried to equip a Godsend onto the creature, which is a white piece of equipment. I was just going to say. couldn't <laughs> equip that. Yeah, I was just going to say, the number of times that I've seen sort of something and something get in the way of like a Lion Sash being attached onto a thing. Like, yeah. it does come up. Those protection abilities are really good to stop enemy removal but make sure that you're not accidentally tripping over your own stuff as well. It's very, very thorny indeed. Mm -hmm. Okay, guys, let's get into some more Manorox here. Um, specifically, I guess we're moving into some real uh, 
duds <laughs> are the next couple of categories. Uh, we've got a few that I'm just like, I don't like talking about these, like the diamonds cycle. I put them at D tier. They're just not very exciting. And I kind of have only ever played them in a monocolor deck. Prismatic Lens, which is just a colorless mana rock. You can pay a mana into it to get another color, but I'm just like, I don't want to do that. That doesn't sound good to me. Mm -hmm. um, Cold Steel Heart and Star Compass. I, I like Cold Steel Heart. Snow is nice, but like these are tapped things that will give you one color, or in the case of Prismatic Lens, no colored mana. So not thoroughly exciting rocks to me. So here's where, uh, yeah, I don't have much to say about these, and here's why. We live in a world right now where, for the most part, most of the good mana rocks we talked about that aren't S-tier are relatively inexpensive. So if I'm going to build a list, even if I ignore all the things that I called S-tier and don't put them in my deck aside from Soul Ring, okay, I'm still going to jam an Arcane Signet in, I'm going to probably put a Talisman in, I'm going to put a appropriate two-color signet in the deck. Then I'm going to look at Felwar Stone, Mind Stone, maybe Thought Vessel, maybe Everflowing Chalice, maybe Medallion, whatever. That's 10 mana rocks right there. Right. That's probably two more than I'm going to be running anyway. You know, maybe Cold Steel Heart's a perfectly fine card, but there's, there's zero situations where I'm even going to be considering it. And even if I do have a free slot there, well, maybe that slot's where I'm looking at a three mana rock with upside or something like a, um, a Thran Dynamo that's going to make me multiple mana in a turn. I'm, I'm willing to like run something a little bit slower. So the problem with these even isn't so much that like they're not good, although some of them aren't good. It's that there's, there's almost no situation where I'm going to want to run the 14th best two mana rock. <laughs> yeah. So, so I don't know what to say about them because there's just no world where I'm running them. I don't hate Cold Steel Heart, just being able to pick your mm, the color yeah. that you need in a two-color deck. For sure. I do have it in B, but everything else is is C or below the diamonds for me. They're C tier. Like if you're playing one, maybe two colors, I get it, but I'm also not excited. I'm just kind of like, we, we we can do better. Um, but like Star Compass, Dana, I'm surprised you don't have that in F tier because you don't play basics. Right. <laughs> Therefore, like Star, Star Compass is completely dead because it only makes mana of any color that a basic land could produce. And so uh, or if you're playing the one creature that makes all your lands basic, sure. But like, I, I don't think I've ever played Star Compass and I've immediately ripped it from any deck. But there's just a bunch. Yeah, there's cards even too, like Pillar of Origins. That's one that like either it feels really, really good or it's just no. absolutely worthless because... No, it, it, Matt, no, it never feels good. Sorry, Pillar of Origins. I hate that card. Okay, th yeah, there, there you go. You, you sold me. That's, that's I, all. Even in a Kindred deck, I would give Pillar of Origins an F. I, I, I absolutely do not like that card. You choose a creature type when it enters and it can only give you mana to spend on that creature type. Sorry, I'm not playing an elf every single turn. Also, I wouldn't play this in an elf deck. And like, if you do need multiple colors, there are better things that will fix your colors for all the spells you play. I think this is totally a trap card. I do not like Pillar of Origins. It's showing up in 15,000 decks. I, if you're playing a kindred deck, you can do better. You, you can do, you deserve better than the Pillar of Origins. Well, and Dana, what are some other, what are some fillers here that we just to round out the list of, of two mana value mana rocks? Um, well, I mean, there's a couple we can, we can get into here. The the Iron Crag is one that can turn into an equipment and in, in a really select narrow set of situations here. Um, actually, it's it's a zero mana rock, but like Jeweled Amulet, I can see a little bit of play. It plays zero mana, and you like you would put a mana into it, and then you can use it next turn. And, and if, in a proliferate deck, I've seen that do work, or a, or a situation where like you care about dropping artifacts for for zero mana. Um, that, so there's a few of these that I, I would consider in that kind of wild card slot where I'm usually looking at a three mana rock with upside, but 
for the most part, I'm just blowing past these and moving right to try to figure out what the last mana rock I run is. And it's almost always going to then move into the three mana with upside um, category. I, I mostly agree. There are a few other straggler two mana rocks that I, I do like kind of keep my eye out for. And no, it's not Corrupted Graphstone. I know people out there are going to ask. That's the one that gives you mana based off of the colors of stuff in your graveyard. I'm, the gra <laughs> I, I, I'm a graveyard man. I, I love the graveyard. This card's bad. <laughs> you need mana early in the game and your graveyard is probably not going to be full of stuff by the time you play this. No, it's far too conditional. Um, I do think that Guardian Idol and Ebony Fly are at least interesting. Those are mana rocks that can become creatures. I don't like the cost of activation for Ebony Fly to eventually become a creature. I like the idea of it. Um, I kind of put that one at D. Guardian Idol, I have used at least in one deck. Uh, specifically, it was my Karazakar deck because having an extra body surprise that can goad, that's been cool. It has. They have been kind of moving down in my uh, evaluations, though, as I've been playing more like random Mishra's factories in my mana base instead of in my mana rock base. Mm -hmm. um, so that is kind of an issue that I have with them. So like probably C going into D tier for a lot of those. But there is one that I do really like that I, I actually am still enjoying. And that's Planar Atlas. That is the two mana rock, enters tapped, can tap for colorless. But it also, when it enters, you can look at the top four cards of your library, pick a land to keep from among them, ship the rest to the bottom. It, it, I think a lot of people misread this one. This is one that I've played very happily in two color decks where I'm just like, oh, I will make sure that I get a mana if I need it. And if I don't like it, then I don't have to do it. I can look at them and be like, ah, I pick up to one land. I pick zero lands. Um, so, yeah, that, that's just one more that I would kind of want to note. I don't know if you guys like it as much, though. See, that that's one that I remember, Joe, you and I both really liked Planar Atlas when it first came out. I've actually kind of soured on it. Really? Uh, the fact that it doesn't come into play Again, it, it is nice that it's modal, but it doesn't come into play untapped. That's where I'm just kind of like, oh man, it's it's such an early game hoser where, again, if it would have been a Mind Stone or Everflowing Chalice, maybe you're you're hitting your stride and, and you're, you're not missing too much. So play, yeah, I've kind of soured on it. I put it in C tier just because I, I wanted it to be good. Um, I also, I, I, I'm hoping like the Iron Crag also is good, but I think I also might come down on that too. <laughs> just sure yeah i guess i'm just saying that like prismatic lens shouldn't be seeing 10 times as much play as planar atlas though like that does feel off to me <laughs> that i agree with that i agree with yeah planar atlas is one of those ones where I, I i do i actually think it's kind of a cool card but i either want my rocks to be usable and fast for the most part or or at least dependable like an arcane signet ish one that comes into play untapped and if i'm willing to take a hit and have an etb tapped i want the impact to be more impactful than that mm. like a, a midnight clock or something right yeah exactly yeah for, for me planar atlas is just like you know what i feel really good keeping an opening hand that has that one in it but if you draw it late i totally understand it's not very very exciting but again people misread it it's a may ability mm -hmm. uh, but yeah dana for the most part i do agree with you like there are a couple of straggler like things there for mana rocks but yeah by the time that we reach that point it's just like all right let's look at some three mana stuff like because there are some really yeah really good three mana rocks out there yeah this is the this is the space that got very very crowded in the past couple of years with just either the, the fixing that it's offered or just the cool and just different utility that you're going to get out of these. Yeah, this is a space where I really look and say, okay, what is my deck doing and which one of these things best works with the thing my deck is doing? And, and like, again, a lot of them are going to be more on the niche side. Like, 
you know, the, the, the gatewatch beacon, <laughs> like if you're playing Planeswalkers, we know you're going for that one. So we'll probably try and stray away from a lot of the more niche ones, especially uh, colored manor rocks. They're super exciting. We love to play them, but let's try and go for more, some of the general ones first, I guess. And I think we might actually be starting off with a bit of a scrap between me and Matt about chromatic lantern. Yeah, it's great. It does everything you want to. If you're playing three or more colors, you, you probably just want chromatic lantern. I, I know that we talked a lot about dual lands, but Chromatic Lantern doing all the fixing for you, that is that is such a powerful effect. And it just it allows you to free up the rest of your mana fixing too. You don't have to invest heavily into an expensive mana base because Chromatic Lantern is doing it for you. It's cool. I put a C for Chromatic Lantern. I like it. I, that's fine. You're Joey, you and Dana both are allowed to be wrong if you disagree with me. <laughs> I will let you I do that. that. <laughs> I really don't think that I'm like when you've got heraldic banner out there giving an anthem to all of your stuff. I'm just like, man, the three mana rocks, they do some cool stuff. And if mm -hmm. I have a lot of good mana fixing already, the extra benefit of chromatic lantern isn't that it fixes my colors. It's that it lets me play on easy mode, which was why I give it a good grade. I think C is like, I'm like, okay, cool. Easy. You don't get style points for winning on hard mode. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm just like, you know, even if we've got a lot of trial lands, I'm just like, yeah, I think that my, my mana base is feeling pretty good here. And I've rarely felt the Chromatic Lantern be super necessary to most of my strategies in ways that like other three mana rocks would give me just more of a benefit for that slot. I agree with Matt in 2015. I moved Joey <laughs> in 2023. There and you go. Yeah. He, here's, here's why. <laughs> the, the things that make Mindstone good don't really change with the game. It's always useful to have a mana rock that you can crack to draw a card or sacrifice an artifact if you care about sacrificing stuff, whatever. Mm. Everflowing Chalice, the things that make that useful don't really change. If anything, maybe more proliferate effects make that better. The problem with Chromatic Lantern is as we've gotten more and more sets or more and more or, or cycles of, of good playable dual lands the need to fix my mana has dropped i used to run chromatic lantern even in a couple of two color decks because i had decks that used so many pips of one color that like the the ability to have access to five blue mana on a single turn sometimes was something that was important i found that i can just do that with lands nowadays in a way that i couldn't back in 2015 right so I appreciate Chromatic Lantern as being like kind of the elder statesman of three mana rocks, um, but the, the the younger players have stepped up and are, are able to shoot threes in a way it no longer can. Well, actually, Dana, the elder statesman of three mana rocks is Commander Sphere. Um, that's really yeah, kind of sure. the, the OG, yeah. which uh, like you might compare it to- Or Coalition Relic, maybe. That too, I yeah. think Coalition Relic is is probably more apt there, yeah. That, that that's a really good point um but for commander sphere specifically like you might compare that one to mindstone and be like oh you can sacrifice it late to draw a card and i still like I, I like that but commander sphere has gone down and down and down as more three mana rocks have taken up that mantle and like a mana rock at two mana is hecking valuable compared to at three mana so this one i i've actually had to budge commander sphere down to a d tier i mean but, but to to quote dana here the same arguments that keep mindstone relevant it applies to Commander Sphere too. If you top deck either of those cards, it's still three mana to cantrip out, but at least it becomes effectively two mana with Commander Sphere because you're able to tap it for mana first right. and then sack it. And so I, oof. The, the same reason I like Mindstone is the same reason I still like Commander Sphere. Um, I've, I've got it firmly in B tier. I, I, man, oof. D, D seems very low. 
I would put it as a C. I think it's still the ability to, to, to always sacrifice it short of like something with split second. Mm-hmm. Whether it's tapped or not, if someone goes and casts a Vandal Blast, you're always getting a card out of, out of the deal regardless of what's going on that you can't do with Mindstone. Um, I like it, but at, at this point, again, there's just so much competition That's that I'm only probably even considering it if I'm like, oh, this is a deck where I want to be able to sacrifice artifacts for some effect or to sacrifice stuff in general. Um, you know, if I'm playing Glyph of the Traitor, well, that's way better there because I can sacrifice it at will to draw a card to get it back to hand and replay it next turn. So it's one that's dropped for me. I think it's still a good card, but it's it's one I'm only playing in a deck that has additional synergy with it. I'm right. not playing it outside of that. Uh, yeah, I I, th- I feel like I, I don't have any decks that play Command Sphere right now, I don't think. If I were to play this one, I feel like I would have to defend that choice. Whereas, Matt, as you said, B tier, I don't think I should have to defend that choice, which is why I can't put it there. Sure. Um, and since I'm not playing it at all, I can't give it a C either. I mean, I don't think you need to defend it, but that that's fine. So what about the next one on our list? So we talked about Thought Vessel being great with the utility on there. Decanter of Endless Water, roughly the same thing, except it taps for colored mana instead of just colorless. Um, I have it, again, firmly in B tier. I just think that there's a lot to like here. What about you guys? I think if I'm paying three mana for a rock, it needs more upside. I think Thought Vessel being two mana and letting me almost always cast it underneath my commander before I would want to cast my commander is good enough. I think at the three mana slot, it needs to have more upside. And again, I just don't have any decks where it can justify that slot over something that's I feel more powerful. So it's a C for me. I just don't... I can't imagine a situation where I'm going to want to run it over another thing that I could run in that slot. Interesting. Uh, I've got a a couple of decks that play this one. This one I put in B as well. Like the decks that want this want it bad for me. And so that's why I'm willing to give it uh, a little bit of more extra zhuzh on there. This is a mana rock that I really enjoyed seeing it and having a nice density of those mana rocks doing that job for you so that you don't have to play a thing like a spell book or whatever, um, or you're not just relying upon your reliquary tower. For decks that need to have a lot of cards in their hand to make their strategy flourish, I've been very 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 pleased i i I don't want to run this but like this it's not a situation where when you say that joey i'm going to argue with you because i'm like i (laughs) totally believe that in your deck it's useful um it's not for me in any of my list but like i get it well and and like me having an infinite hand size like usually i want to discard stuff to the graveyard so i i usually don't like having an infinite hand size so like for me to give it a, a b grade i'm just like whoa but yeah yeah the, uh, speaking of Elder Statesman, Worn Power Stone, mm. one of the oldest mana rocks that people are still running on occasion, three mana, um, comes into play tapped, taps for two, shows you how buffed Soul Ring is, that it can cost two more mana. For real. And ETB tapped. And for a lot of years, this was kind of a staple almost. Like in the early days of Commander, Worn Power Stone was in a whole lot of decks, and it still shows up on a lot of lists. Fair, yeah. I, I think I still sometimes do just like if it curves really nicely into a high cost commander, I'll consider it. Mm-hmm. Um, or if my commander is two mana and I don't have access to like the green cultivates or something like that, having a three mana thing that gives two extra, I'm like, oh, I can kind of justify that. I've got it at C, but I could easily be convinced to put it at D without much difficulty. Like, yeah, it's it's do it. It served its time really well. And so I thank it for the spark that it, of joy that it gave us. And then we'll, we'll, the, we'll the put game it has perhaps moved beyond Worn Power Stone. Yeah. Well, I, a place that I think it's moved that I really like is Relic of Legends. I know that I wouldn't shut up about this card when I first saw it. I still really, really like it. Uh, just with all the incidental legends in pretty much any given set or format relic of legends holds up so stinking well and i i have this and another mana mana rock um heraldic banner oh yeah 
both an A tier. I, I love both of these cards. I have both of those at B tier for similar reasons. The colored mana on Relic of Legends, the the tricky stuff that it can do is so good. And Heraldic Banner as an Anthem is amazing. Mm -hmm. Maybe I'd put Banner as an A. Yeah, those are both so good. Like that is a a really good, yeah. Yeah, Warren Power Stone is a D in compared to this. You guys are absolutely right. (laughs) (laughs) It's so tough to evaluate some of these things. Um, You know, when I look at a card like, say, Midnight Clock, you know, three mana, and basically after three twips from the board, you discard your hand, shuffle it into your library, and draw seven. That's really impactful. Um, And when I'm putting that in a deck, I'm looking at it, I'm I'm putting it in because it's going to tap for mana. But the effect is is what I'm looking at there. It's it's an effect that is also mana rock while I'm waiting for the effect. Um, I think the same is true with like Patriarch Seal. It's an untap ability that's a mana rock while I'm waiting to untap things. Yeah, 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 yeah. And, and I don't know if that makes a difference in terms of evaluating the cards, but like that's how I very much look at it. Heraldic Banner is not going into my deck as a mana rock. It's going in my deck because I'm playing a go wide deck and it's a way to perhaps kill someone I couldn't otherwise kill. Oh, and it's also a mana rock that I can tap for mana along the way. Exactly. That's how I feel about Strixhaven Stadium as well. Yeah, yeah. yeah. it's just like the, the the reason is ulterior to the fact that this thing, oh, it produces mana? Okay, cool. Like, like that's, yeah. that's a nice bonus on the effect that I'm really after here. Um, and it's nice to have those shore up some of those spots in a mana slot. Whereas something like Thought Vessel, Thought Vessel is two mana untapped. That's why I'm running it. The fact that I don't have to discard is just very cool, but that's not why I'm running it. I'm running it for the mana rock portion, and that's just gravy on top. Yeah, exactly. Uh, and that's why, personally, you mentioned Patriarch Seal. I can have that at C tier. I think most of us do. Uh, but like in the decks where it shines, it shines really good. Yeah. Um, there's a pair of indestructible mana rocks. The one that I think the game has definitely moved on from, which is Dark Steel Ingot. <laughs> yeah. Um, a solid D tier here for me. It's nice that it's indestructible, but it's still just a manolith. And then there's Skyclave Relic, uh, which is also basically exactly the same, but you can kick it to get some extra copies that enter tapped. Um, I like Skyclave Relic. Uh, I've seen it shine in nice places. I still just give it a C, uh, but like, you know, indestructible stuff. That's nice. I think we've mostly moved on from the ingot though, which is a shame. <laughs> yeah, they're both middling. Like, I, I've never seen a Skyclave Relic kicked. And so I, I give it the same rating. They're both middling whatever type of cards like if, if i see them i'm like okay but i'm not excited yeah skyclave relic i think is one of those cards where the indestructible is nice but i think most of the time i've seen it, it's in a deck where the person has some kind of a list that cares about the amount of artifacts in play that's the purpose of it it's a mana rock that you could use or maybe late game you can get multiple mana rocks out of it that are going to impact something that you're doing that cares about going wide with artifacts. Exactly. So yeah, I'm not going to run it aside from that, but I I do have a deck that does that, so I'm running it. Yeah, I think that there's an argument that these are kind of niche. Um, I think potentially you could make the same argument for like Manascape Refractor as being also, this is a mana rock that I'd want in niche situations. That's the mana rock that can, uh, it takes on all abilities of all the lands in play. I mean, I've used this to copy a Cabal Coffers and that sure feels really dang good. Um, I do think this one is... Better than I give it credit for. It always looks like an easy cut. Maybe, honestly, I should probably just like still also be keeping this one at C tier. Um, but like, it's it's a mana rock that I'm just like, you know what? I respect it. And in the places where you're good, I've seen you do some very impressive stuff copying someone else's Maze of Ith, for instance. So I do respect the crap out of that one, even if it doesn't actually make its way into too many of my decks these days. 
say I I don't like Mana Scape Refractor. It's D tier for me because oh wow, it, well, like I mentioned, like it needs so much support in the, either the rest of your deck or you're relying on your opponents to be playing powerful cards too. And and we've talked many times on this show about how you shouldn't rely on your opponents to to make cards be powerful. So it, just by definition of how I set my structure, like I. I don't, it's D tier for me. I don't like it. Really? Uh, man, I like count, copying bounce land abilities with this. Then it taps for two. And I'm like, oh, that's neat. But, so. but like, but that's coming down to, like you mentioned copying Cabal Coffers. Like, I think that's more just Cabal Coffers being powerful. And like, using Cabal Coffers <laughs> is the powerful yeah. part. Fair. And Manascape Refractor just happened to be the the venue that you got an extra Cabal Coffers out of. Yeah, I, I like it. But I, I very much agree with Matt. It's dependent on your deck and your deck alone. I'm only considering in a list if I'm looking at like, oh, this is a mono black deck and I'm already running Cabal Coffers and I'm running Cabal Stronghold and I got a ton of black cards in here. So I'm running Nykthos and there's that's three things alone that are probably worth copying. It's worth the the ups, the, the massive upside is worth a little bit of downside outside that I'm not considering it. Like I have to look at my list and, and see three or four or five lands that are super powerful and worth copying. Otherwise, I'm not even pondering it. But then at that point, like you could also be playing Vesuva or Thespian Stage and like there's all sorts of other cards. And, like I don't remember the last time I saw either of those two cards outside of people trying to <laughs> do a Thespian Sage off of a Dark Deaths. Uh, there, there's another one here that I think is worth mentioning. Uh, you know, we've been talking about a lot of stuff that has lost its luster. Um, Unstable Obelisk is the three mana mana rock that adds a colorless mana. You can pay seven and tap it, sacrifice it to destroy target permanent. This thing still shows up in 23,000 decks. Um, I was real close to giving it an F, you guys. I was real close to giving it an F. It's currently at D, but like, man, uh, this card, not great. I think if you're in colorless, then okay, but like, this not good seven mana tap sacrifices the highest of high costs i don't care how bad your mono black deck wants to kill enchantments this probably isn't the way to do it well and and in 2023 kind of dana you joked about like in 2015 i agree with you yeah. in 2015 <laughs> i agree unstable obelisk was probably a c tier card and now it's d or f because every color now has ways of managing either feed the swarm or all sorts of different ways that pretty much any color can do something in some given way if you're playing mono red and you want to get rid of enchantment you still have chaos warp so there's a bunch of different ways you can address and do the things that unstable obelisk was trying to do and i just don't think it's worth the slot really anymore yeah i i think the last two decks i had it in were a mono blue and a mono black and feed the swarm and thing like raven form and blue probably are the cards that made me stop running it although i think i stopped running it well before those came out but they would have been absolutely the nail in the coffin for sure it, it, it was a card that at the time was like, I don't mind paying three for this because once in a while I can blow up a problem thing and that's fine. There's just too much competition in that slot today. Yeah, very much. All right, then we move to a whole swath, just a big batch of unexciting swill. Um, <laughs> key runes, clue stones, obelisks, monuments, totems, crystals, like Ketria crystal, banners. Like there are a lot of... I guess like these were mana rocks for limited. Uh, a lot of these tap for like yeah, three yeah. colors, for instance. Clue stones, you can sacrifice them to uh, turn into a card or whatever, but it costs you mana to do it. Some of them can animate. Like there are some interesting key runes, but like for the most part, I'm hard pressed to not give D to all of these, if not F, like the obelisks, like obelisk abont. Obelisks are F for sure. Real bad. Yeah. Yeah. Worse than a mana lift. Yeah, exactly. So like, um, but most of these are are not great. I'll give the occasional apology to a key rune, but for the most part, yeah. Most 
most of these are not good. Yeah, you're running them for flavor or just because you haven't bothered to take it out yet because it's like not that big of a deal. Because it really is like the difference between, you know, the new hotness three men rock and one of these. How often is that going to change? How often do you win a game? It would bother me, but like the average person's <laughs> not going to probably care. Um, so I get it. But, you know, you run them if you're going to run them. It's not actively making your deck worse necessarily, but. I'm never putting them in a list unless there's some super cool flavor reason to do so that I that really tickles my fancy at the moment. I mean, key runes, I, I do like. Being able to turn into some nifty creatures, I, I think they're better really than creature lands. I put those in C. Clue stones you can cash in for so much cheaper than a lot of other cards like the banners, but everything else is D tier for sure. But th- those two cycles specifically, I don't hate. I don't love them, but I don't hate them. If you're on a budget, I will be more apologetic to a lot of these. Yeah, but like, absolutely. Why play a Cluestone when there's a Commander Sphere? And I'm already not playing a lot of Commander Sphere. Like, that is kind of where I've gotten to with these. And unfortunately, I feel pretty similarly to uh, Bonder's Ornament. The three mana rock uh, tap to add one mana of any color, and it can pay four. And then each player who controls a permanent named Bonder's Ornament draws a card. Um, which is probably just going to be you because I right not a lot of people should play this one. <laughs> like it's <laughs> it's, it's a, like technically like this is a mana resource, so you have to tap it and four other mana resources to draw a card. This was back when they were trying to figure out how do we give white card draw, and this was what we got. I'm just like I don't I don't think five mana is worth that on a mana rock when there's so many other things that we could be doing with that slot instead. There was like a 15 minute window, I think, where I had it in a mono white deck. Um, <laughs> and the, the the second something else came out, it was it was the easy first cut. Well, let's let's move on then, because I, I don't really know. Do we have anything else at three mana that we want to talk about? There's probably something we're forgetting. There's there's crowded crypt, the crowded crypts of the world. You know, there, there's plenty of like yeah. cursed mirrors and like ones that in your specific deck do well. But again, you know that you're looking at that and you're like that works well in my deck or it doesn't work well enough to care about. And I don't think there's a lot of debate necessarily to be had there. I I do love a cursed mirror. I yeah absolutely. And I think that's kind of one of those those specific cards that it's those three mana mana rocks with upside. But I'm not playing cursed mirror because I want the mana from it. I'm playing Cursed Mirror because I want to copy something real quick and get that cool effect. Kind of like the same reason I'm playing Misleading Signpost. I'm not yeah. playing it for mana, for mana fixing especially, because it only makes one color, but I want that effect when it comes in the battlefield. Those are the reasons that I'm playing those types of cards. Yeah, for sure. I do want to give one last shout out also in the Three Mana Rocks to the new Sonic Screwdriver. I'm I'm not sure where this falls just yet, but like there's a lot of utility on that Swiss army knife of a mana rock. Like mm-hmm. it does give you mana, but it can also untap stuff, scry one, and it can give something unblockable. And I'm like, I, I'm not gonna discount that one just yet. I've got my eye on that one. And with the number of things that it can do, I I, I, feel, I feel like this is one that I, I wanna give more chances to, to see just how much it impresses me because I'm impressed by the number of words on it. We don't usually get that on a mana rock. I, Sonic Screwdriver and Laser Screwdriver both, I think are, there's a lot of fun flexibility. Yeah. The goad on Laser Screwdriver, I, oof, I, I think that's very, very useful to make sure that the best creature on the battlefield isn't going after you and it's repeatable, that's that's a very desirable effect, especially if you're playing colors that maybe don't normally get goad. I think next we can probably move on to talk about the four or, or four plus <laughs> mana artifacts here, because mm. um, I don't think there's no need to break, break up four or five or whatever. Um, although to me, I still kind of lump these in, like I usually have room for one three mana rock with upside. And sometimes by three mana rock with upside, I mean Thran Dynamo at four <laughs> and that taps for three colorless. So I, 
for me, a lot of the, these kind of get lumped into that same kind of slot where it, it's a more expensive, it's a luxury rock, right? This is yeah. the one where I'm willing to, mm-hmm. I, I, I usually run one luxury counterspell in a deck. So I'm like overwhelming intellect that draws me cards, like a more expensive counterspell. This is my equivalent of that for mana rocks. I usually have one luxury rock in a deck. Maybe it's a three mana rock with upside. Maybe it's one of these four mana ones and it just will depend on the specific deck. Yeah, the Thran Dynamo, it's it's fine. It's serviceable. It's it's C tier for me. I don't like it as much as I used to. I think just a lot a lot of the format got efficient enough to catch up to doing what it was doing. I, I still really like Gilded Lotus, though. I know we, we're not supposed to, but I really <laughs> like Gilded Lotus still. No, I, I think that's fair. Uh, for the most part, like when it comes to the times that you need your mana acceleration, like mm-hmm. once you're at four mana plus, it's just like, okay, I, you're, you're asking me to sign a real big check here. And so like having something that can actually <laughs> glide you through those early turns is so much more important. So for me, when it's a four plus mana rock, I really have to be like ultra super dedicated to something. Um, like th- the the new Throne of Eldraine Mana Rock or the Scepter of Eternal Glory Mana Rock. Those specifically in the context of monocolor decks, I'm like, all right, you've got my attention. Those I quite like. I'd give those B tier or higher. Sure. But the only times that I'm going to really play a Thran Dynamo, much as I respect the card, or a Gilded Lotus, as you said, much as I respect those, it's got to be when my commander costs a whole heck and lot of mana. Yeah. And if it's going to cost me like eight mana to recast it if it died the first time and I have to like replay it from the command zone, those are specifically the contexts where I'm willing to play those things. And outside of that, mm-hmm. if it's four plus mana, uh, you're, you're real creeping down towards the C, if not D tier, uh, like a whole lot of the time. Yeah, th- that's where I'm considering these ones. If I look at my commander and see three colorless mana at some point in that casting cost, then like, the Thran Dynamos of the world, I'm considering those in that wild card slot. Unlike Matt, I like Thran Dynamo more than Gilded Lotus. Hmm. Um, for me, my my logic behind that is if I need colored mana at, at, at something that costs five to cast in the first place, something's gone horribly wrong. Um, <laughs> so for me, getting the same amount of mana from Thran Dynamo for one less, even though it's colorless, is more useful. Like that upside, it's worth paying one less for one because... The mana being uh, of a color isn't necessarily that useful at that point in the game. Um, so I do like Thrand Animal better, but again, I, I'm only considering that in that one slot if my commander has some ridiculous casting cost, like six mana or something. So, I mean, so you so you still like Thrand Dynamo. Do you still like Hedron Archive, which is still for, it only adds two colorless mana, but you're able to cash it in and, and draw cards. Again, I, I value this pretty highly still i have it in b tier oh kind of the same reason i have mindstone so highly is because you get the mana early you can cash it in later and get all the card draw too uh, it, it's fine i don't necessarily love it I, I if i was going to run a worn power stone i'd much rather i think cast it one turn later and have it be untapped and have the sacrifice ability i think this is one of those cards that made me mm-hmm. no longer want to even consider worn power stone but again, I think if I'm going to be considering something that costs four mana, I'd just ha- rather have it make me the three from Thran Dynamo, um, unless there's specific reason to do it. If I'm Again, if I've got some added synergy with drawing cards on other players' turns or sacrificing artifacts or recurring stuff, then I'm looking at this more than I otherwise would. Interesting. Uh, Matt, I have a question for you about Hedron Archive. You know, four mana taps for two or pay two, mm-hmm. tap, sacrifice a draw two. But then also in Baldur's Gate, we've got Stonespeaker Crystal. Four mana taps for two, pay two, tap, sacrifice it, draw a card and exile number of any. Love me a Stonespeaker Crystal. Not just because of the grave hate. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Exiles graveyards, but you only draw one card off of it. How do those two compare is my question. I think they're 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 both in B tier for me. And B? Okay. I, I again 
I love the flexibility. If a game drags on long, that's those slogs, you know, you're in turn 10 plus and just everybody has all the mana they, they're ever going to need. Mm. Being able to get rid of those and cycle through your deck and just sometimes that that makes a difference. I've definitely won games where, okay, well, I have 13 lands in play. I don't need any more of these mana rocks. And so let me just cash this in. Oh, that actually got me just exactly where I needed to be. And now I can win the game. Absolutely has happened with with any of these types of cards. I think I'd probably, like, if I were to choose between them, I do think that Stone Speaker Crystal is interesting enough that I'd be like, hey, if you're playing against me, use this one. But I also run a whole lot of graveyards, so I'm probably biased in that. Um, like, I've had my graveyard. You can't in good faith give it the same grade I did. I We we get it, Joey. No, I just, I think that, like, I probably <laughs> would value the crystal above the archive is what I'm trying to say. But I, mm -hmm. I still put both of them at C, but, like, one of them's, like, C plus, maybe. Uh, I, I don't know. But, like... I don't know, as long as it's not a Cisse's ring. Like, right. Right? like that one's the F here. Like, so that's just flat tap for two mana. Again, to show you how good a soul ring really is. Um, there's a lot of interesting stuff happening there. Uh, there's some interesting stuff happening in the, like the six plus mana range as well. Like Coveted Jewel is a cool card, but don't play it unless you really specifically know what you're doing with it too, right? Like a six mana thing, it draws you cards, that's cool. But like play it in a blink deck only is kind of my vibe with a whole lot of these, especially the the expensive mana rocks. You've really got to be so, like, there's got to be a really good reason that you're playing like a chromatic orrery because it's seven mana. Yeah, at seven mana, you're not playing chromatic orrery for the, the mana acceleration because you already got to seven mana. But also it's just, you're treating it like any other seven mana spell. You better be winning the game with those. And I don't think Chromatic Ori helps you win the game quite in the same fashion that some of the other ones do. I, I the, the other one that I think is probably worth mentioning here briefly is Throne of Eldraine. Um, I do think it's worth looking at for what it costs. I think there's a lot of upside on that card and the fact that you almost immediately are able to refund a lot of the mana you put into it. Um, Again, in the right deck, it's probably only going to be a monocolor deck, but Throne of Eldraine has a lot of upside in the right deck. But again, I think it's one of those cards where like, you're either, you know right away when you look at your list, no one's spending a ton of time trying to determine if it works in their deck or not. They're either like, yep, this is great in here, or it's not. Yeah, I kind of mentioned, I really like Throne of Eldraine specifically for monocolor decks, and it's definitely ousted any thought that I ever may have had about playing something like a Nyx Lotus, which taps to add mana equal to your devotion to a certain color. I wanted to like that card. I think you really have to be hardcore until something like maybe Planeswalkers or Enchantments that are going to stick around for Nyx Lotus to truly shine. Because like if you're just doing it based off your creatures, people will kill your creatures and then your devotion will go away. So Nyx Lotus has burned me a whole lot. So I definitely prefer to see stuff like the Throne of Eldraine as a, a thing to reward the monocolored decks um, with a high amount of mana production. Yeah, I, I don't like Nyx Lotus. Also, I, I know that I'm going against what I've been saying for most of the episode, but I don't like Dreamstone Hedron either. This is, it's so expensive. Yeah. It's yeah. what is it? Nine mana effectively to draw three cards. I think you can just do a lot better. Yeah. D tier for both of those for sure. That's where we're just getting into the, the cards are just, they're so inefficient that you can get yeah. just as good of effects, if not better at so many other different cards. Yeah. The, the problem with Nick's Lotus I've found is either it's backbreaking but it's backbreaking at a point in the game when everyone's back is broken because like I'm so far ahead <laughs> if I have enough pips out that, that it's yeah. that it's super powerful that like I'm in a commanding lead and maybe I don't need it or my position is so bad and then I play this four mana tapped mana rock that is only making me 
you know, one or two mana when I tap it. And that feels miserable too. That, and that really is it. Like those four mana, especially when they enter tapped. I mean, like I want that upside yeah. like some of those have, but that's why I'm not playing Firemind Vassal. Right. As nice as it is. And it gives you the color production and that's cool, but it enters tapped and it adds two mana of different colors. And I'm just like, I can't, I'm not, it's four mana. <laughs> like I, right. But so right. many of my mana rock slots are built in with those two mana things. And then a couple of cool splashy three mana things that like these get very, very hard to justify. Mm -hmm. There are situations where they can be very, very cool for some of these. But for the most part, it's a great big, like if, you, if you're costing a whole lot of mana to give me more mana, it feels a little bit like some of those six mana green ramp spells where they find you three lands, like Nissa's Renewal or whatever. And it's just like, what are you doing? I'm, I already have the lands though. <laughs> right. Uh, and, and that's kind of, you just have to look really, really critically at these. And even if you can imagine these ideal situations where they would be good, the practicality is you need help on your early turns. And how often are those situations really coming out in ways that other cool mana rocks aren't already solving? That's pretty much the end of the list of cards I want to talk about. And does that mean we're at the end of the show? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I, I, I guess we can give you that. We'll... All right. I mean, I mean, technically, kind of, yeah, that, that is sort of it. Sure, yeah, and, I think so, yeah. And I, mean, I know there are going to be a whole bunch of folks who are like, oh, but you didn't yes. mention this thing, the empowered auto-generator this, or, you know, the, the wand of the world sold that. Sold that. And, and we know there's a whole lot of mana rocks out there, and a lot of them are very highly specialized, and they can do some amazing work, but the, the specializations are uh, the, the thing to pay attention to that don't necessarily make them compete against some of these other that I feel like is more important to grade about where certain of these other more general ones fall to see how you pair them up against those special ones that you already know that you love um there, there's a lot of fun stuff i'm happy to see all of the interesting stuff that's going on in the three mana rock uh, the sort of cycle here i guess because i don't just want to view these mana rocks through the lens of only efficiency i love the cool extra stuff that we can get off of them mm -hmm. so it, it's fun to specialize even just within the realm of the more general ones sure um so yeah it, it it has been fun to to give some rankings to some of these even if holy crap there have been a whole lot of them well and with all that said i guess it is time for us to sign off here so you can find me on pretty much any social media platform that you want at mathemus 55 that's m-a-t-h-i-m-u-s-5-5 and if you'd like to catch us in person and get some games, we will be at Magic Fest Chicago at the end of February. So make sure you come on and get some games in with us then. You can find me online at Dana Roach. I'm writing articles for Idiot Track and Commander's Herald. And you can find all of us together at patreon.com slash idiotrackcast. And I'm Joey Schultz. You can find me at Joseph M. Schultz online, most likely somewhere on Instagram, maybe. And you can find the cast at EDHRetCast everywhere online. Plus, if you've got a question for us, you can contact us at EDHRetCast at gmail.com. Our thanks go out once again to Chase for their fantastic work in the post-production of the show. You can find them online at Mana Curves. Listeners, let us know where you would rank some of these Mana Rocks. What are your favorite Mana Rocks to play in EDH? And we will be back at you next week with more data and insights. But until then, remember, EDH wreck your deck before you wreck your deck. <laughs> <laughs>